You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, Today we're in our series called uh, uh, Dancing with Porcupines. This series is about relationships, how to get along with people. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says we're like porcupines, you know, we long to be close, but we poke each other and we're, we dispel each other, push each other away. And so uh, we've been looking at this series, Dancing with Porcupines, about how to improve our relationships and how to understand relationships, how relationships work, and we've talked about different things. Today we're going to talk about one of the primary things that affect relationships, and that's expectations. I want to talk about the expectations that we have in our relationships. And I want to read a story to you out of the Old Testament that's going to sort of be the backdrop to help us with some of the principles we want to uncover today about how we can be more effective in our relationships when it comes to those expectations that we have toward each other. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14 is the story we want to use. Uh, and it says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram, whenever you see Aram in the new translations, that's the same as Syria. He was a great man and in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served, Na- as Naaman's wa- served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl had said, and he said, by all means go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel said, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the men come, the man come to me, and I will know, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come to me, out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of a leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could not wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and the man of God, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. So this is a good story, and it's about a, a really famous guy, uh, Naaman, who was a great general in uh, the nation of Syria. And he was a man 
that was used to the spotlight being on him. He was a man that, you know, when he walked into the room, people stood up. He was a very highly respected man because he was a successful general. Therefore, his mode of thinking is that he's a very special person. And so when he comes to Israel and Elisha the prophet doesn't treat him as he thinks he should be treated, he is highly offended. So it's an interesting story about Naaman. I think it's possible in our lives to overestimate our importance in the minds of other people. And when we see in this story, we see that uh, Naaman is a man that is constantly receiving accolades. He has all kinds of reward, awards. He is a man that is respected by the king, and he has this high standing. And he's been very successful in his life, very successful, and yet he has this problem. He has leprosy. And I think it's interesting that all of us, and you look at people today, you look across the aisle, and you see people that are doing so well, and it looks like they've got a nice car, and they're dressed nice, and they're looking good, and everything seems to be really, really good on the surface. But I think a lot of us, you know, as we, people look at us, they think we don't have any problems. And when you think of Naaman, you think of this guy that, you know, he's got it all together. He's got all these awards. He's got position. He's got money. He's got power. But he has leprosy. I bet some of you today, if I were to ask you, hey, how's your life going? You say, well, I got all these good things going, but there's this thing that's a negative in my life. And I bet you every single one of us have a negative. And I want you to know, and maybe this will help you a little bit, uh, you know, this is the human reality. Everybody in life has a lot of good things, but people also have negative things. So if you're here today and you've got something negative in your life, you are not the only one. You're not the only one that's suffering, and you, you may be coming into this Thanksgiving season, and you think about, you know, all the things you have, but there's this one little fly in the oatmeal that just seems to be messing up your life, but you are in good company. So Naaman was a great man. He was great in the sight of his master. He was highly regarded, but he had leprosy. And that was his situation. But I think the problem with Naaman was that Naaman had got addicted to the spotlight. He was used to being in the center of attention. This is what Teddy Roosevelt's daughter said about him. A great quote. Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, if you remember Teddy Roosevelt, one of our most flamboyant uh, presidents, he said, uh, here's what his daughter said. My father always wanted to be the corpse at every funeral, the bride at every wedding, and the baby at every christening. So what that means is, is that he had to be the center of attention. He had to be the center of attention. And maybe you were raised that way. And one of the things I see today happening with parents raising their kids, they're, they're making their kids like these gods. And they whatever their kids want, they just do everything what their kids want. And they just wait on their kids hand and foot. And, and they make their kids the center of their universe. And kids grow up thinking that that is how the world is going to treat them. I remember when I was growing up, my dad used to tell me, because I was the firstborn, I was an only child until I was five years old, and then my two sisters came along and ruined my life. I had this wonderful, wonderful life. <laughs> and uh, it was a rude awakening for me, because I was used to everything revolving around me. My dad used to say to me, Danny, the world does not revolve around you. And that was a revelation to me, because I really thought the world revolved around me. And I think Naaman is in that situation. And one of the reasons that God lets people get married, one of the purposes of marriage is to teach you 
how not to be selfish and not to be narcissistic. What happens in marriage when we're married, God uses marriage to erase narcissism out of our life. When I got married, you know, to Karen, uh, when we were both very young, I really thought the world rested on my shoulders and that everything was all about me and I was so important. And I think God puts us in marriage so that we learn that the world is not about us and that we learn to serve the person that we've been married to. And that's the purpose of marriage, is to teach you how to forget yourself, how to forget what you're, you're all about, and to give your life to serve another person. I remember when uh, Karen and I first got married, we were living in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and we were uh, in Bible college, and we were living in a mobile home in Admiral uh, Mobile Home Park on Route 98 in Pensacola, Florida. And I remember the first time... You know, we've been married for, you know, just about a year, and Karen got the flu, and she had never had the flu before. I mean, I'd never seen her sick before. She was just beautiful, stunning. I mean, I just, that's the Karen that I married, and she got sick. I mean, she got so sick, and I remember we were in our trailer, and she, uh, she got uh, sick to her stomach, got nauseous, and she's running to the bathroom to, you know, dispel the protein that wanted to come out of her body. And she didn't make it, and she vomited on the carpet. And she is so sick, and she's just, she just was sweaty, and she got back in bed. And, and I was thinking, who's going to clean this up? <laughs> this is a new thing for me. I don't know who's going to clean this up. And I remember thinking about when I was sick as a little boy. You know, I would be there, you know, at the toilet, you know, throwing up, and my mom would have a little wet rag. She'd be wiping my forehead, and she'd be comforting me. And I thought to myself, where is mama now? What are we going to do? <laughs> but God puts people in marriages to erase the narcissism in their life. And we have a name and attitude about life, that everything's about us. We're so entitled. We feel like everything's about us. And be careful of raising kids like that. Be careful of raising grandkids like that. Be careful of telling kids, hey, listen, we're going to do whatever you want to for the next 20 years. That's not always a good thing. Sometimes the most important thing you can say to your kids, no, we're not going to do that. And because the world's going to say that to them. And I think Naaman grew up in a world where everything was about him. And he was the center of attention. And when he goes to, when he goes to uh, Israel to find Elisha the prophet, and he comes into that place, he was, uh, he was expecting something to happen that didn't happen. He went there, and he's a big deal, you know. And, and he goes to the king, and the king doesn't know how to heal him. And then Elisha the prophet, you know, he's the guy that he was supposed to go see anyhow. And he sends him to Elisha. Now, get this. In the text, it's very clear. Then Naaman comes to Elisha, and when he comes to Elisha, he comes to Elisha's house, and Elisha sends a messenger out to meet him. Sends a messenger out to meet him. He's a big deal. Naaman is like the key general. He's like the Colin Powell of, of Syria. He's a big deal, and he sends a messenger out. Now, if you, uh, you, know, if, if you have a, a, a figure of state come to your country, if you have a president or somebody of notoriety, you don't send the janitor to pick them up. You don't send the janitor on a motor scooter to pick up this, this head of state. You send a, a parallel person to meet them. 
And Elisha, you know, it was expected in Naaman's mind that Elisha the prophet, he would come out to meet Naaman. And so Naaman is insulted that he was snubbed and that he was not treated with respect and honor. And so he struggles with that. Public figures sometimes need to learn that they're just regular people. It doesn't matter how many people know us. It doesn't matter how many people know our name. It doesn't matter how big our position is, how much money we have. At the end of the day, we're just people that need other people. Can you say a big amen? So we need to have a humble view of how we serve. And so Naaman is offended. And the book of Proverbs says a wise man overlooks an insult. But Naaman was insulted. And here's what the prophet's messenger said. The prophet's messenger says, go down to the Jordan River. And it's a muddy, muddy river. If you've ever been to the Jordan River, it's not a very glamorous river. Go down there and duck in the river seven times and you'll be healed. And he was highly offended by that. And here's what Naaman said. I thought, I thought that Elisha would come out and he would pray a prayer to the God of Israel and he would do this, this liturgical thing and he would wave his hand over me in, in, in almost like magical power and he would heal me. He was expecting Elisha to do a certain thing and Elisha didn't do what he thought he was going to do. And in relationships, what happens to us is that we have expectations that are, that are not articulated about other people. We have expectations about what people are going to do and how they're going to respond to us. We have expectations of our friends. We have expectations of our spouses. We have expectations of our adult children. We expect that they're going to do certain things. And when they don't do what we expect that they're going to do, we get angry and we get resentful. And like Naaman, we kind of get an attitude and we get into this kind of funk about that. I remember one year for Karen for, for Mother's Day, we were in the, we were in the middle uh, she was in the middle of motherhood. I mean, our boys were five and six, six and seven years old, something like that. And she was working all the time and she was raising those kids. And she was, uh, you know, she was taking care of dinners. And, you know, I was going to school. I was pastoring the church and, and I was busy and she was just working night and day. And these kids were just sucking her brains out. They wanted stuff from her all the time. And she was a good mom. She's running them to soccer practice and doing all this stuff and birthday parties. And when Mother's Day, came she was expecting a really really big deal because she had been a first-class mother and I remember from Mother's Day I bought her a little plant <laughs> I mean it was it was a little plant I thought it was a thought that count counted I was wrong it's not the thought that counts it's the quality of the gift I got her this little plant She's got bags under her eyes. She's been working. These kids are driving her crazy. Her hair is disheveled. She's looking for Mother's Day. She's going to get a break, and everything's going to be great, and I'm going to honor her, and I give her this little plan. She looked at me, and I knew I was in trouble when I handed her that plan. <laughs> it was so bad that she, uh, we planted in the yard, and she brought her friends over to, say, to look at this little plant that I had given her. <laughs> 
How many know that we have expectations of people? We have things. We didn't say it. She didn't say, I, I mean, I want a big plant. I want a manicure. I want, you know, I want you to take the kids out to dinner and I'll stay home, you know. She had an idea of what that was supposed to be. And we live with expectations in our head. We see things happening in a way that they don't always unfold and they don't happen in the way that we think that they're going to happen. And so when you think about our relationships, one of the things that bothers relationship is these unmet expectations. And here's what I want you to get a hold of today. Here's an important newsflash. This is important for you to remember. People often will not meet your expectations. People often will not meet your expectations. In fact, here's what I would suggest. Assume that people will often not do what you assume that they're going to do. Because in our relationships, sometimes we do not fulfill the expectations of people that are in, we're in a relationship with. So it's not just like people aren't going to meet your expectations, things that you think that they should do, things that you think that they should, how they should respond to you. It's not just that they're not going to meet your expectations. You are not meeting their expectations. See, every time somebody disappoints me and I think they're supposed to do something and they're going to respond in a certain way and they don't do that and it frustrates me, the thing that comes into my mind, how many times have I done that to other people? People have expected something of me and I didn't walk that through. So listen, we have all let each other down and we've got to give a little mercy, give a little grace and also expect sometimes that people will not meet your expectations. I got a couple quotes here. This is what Sylvia Plath says in the bell jar. I, I read Sylvia Plath in, in college. I can't remember what book I read, but she said this. She said, if you expect nothing from somebody, you'll never be disappointed. If you expect nothing from somebody, you'll never be disappointed. Now, I, don't, I think there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. And I don't suggest sarcasm about people are always going to let you down. And I don't think you should have like a fatalistic view that, you know, hey, listen, you can't trust anybody. I think that's bad. But I think you need to be realistic about people. People have their own issues. You think about you more than other people think about you. And sometimes people are, you know, you don't hear from somebody or they're not responding to you or you feel like your friend should call you and they're not calling you. What you may not know is your friend is in a major crisis themselves. And people are just trying to get through life together. Donald Miller, who wrote a, Donald Miller is a great Christian writer, uh, not deep theology for sure, but he wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. He said, when you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for what they are. Hey, listen, why don't you just say this with me right now? Why don't you say this? Uh, I am no longer going to expect my spouse, my friends to be perfect. You know, there's liberty in that. And I think that's incredibly important. Now, here's a couple places that we find where we have expectations toward people where they let us down. Number one, sometimes we expect people to reach out to us more than they do. Sometimes we expect people to reach out to us more than they do. You know, we don't hear from our friends sometimes. We don't hear, you know, they're not calling us. Or, or maybe your adult children. If you have children that are out of the house, how many of you have grown children that have 
out of the house and off your payroll. Just raise that hand. Maybe you say they're out of the house, but you're still on your payroll. I don't know how that works for you. Sometimes you wonder, you know, I, my, I, my son, my oldest son, Tim, you know, he just barely, rarely comes by to see me. And he loves me. He'll send me a text. Like, Dad, I love you. So proud of you. You know, you, I'm, I'm successful because what you taught me and, and a little text. And that means a lot to me. And we don't, we do a little Bible study together once a month or so. And I see him a little bit, but he doesn't come to the house very much. And it bothers Karen sometimes. And so, you know, I, I'll call him and I say, your mother fell down the stairs. I can't get her up, you know, and <laughs> he'll come over, you know, with things I have to trick him to get over there. Oh, she's fine now. You know, he came over, you know, in, in May, I said, wow, I must seem weird to you. The Christmas tree's not up and everything. Usually you're here. It's Christmas time. But But you know what? If I am completely honest, I love my kids. I love my adult kids. I love Joel and Stacy and Tim and Jess. And I love our kids and all that. I love them. But I'm so glad that they have a life of their own. I'm so glad that they have their own friends. I'm so glad that they're independent. If your kids are independent, you have done a good job. That's a good sign. And so we're grateful for that and uh, that type of thing. So sometimes we get, we expect people to reach out to us more than they reach out to us. And when they don't reach out to us, we can become resentful of them because they're not reaching out to us. And there's a lot of expectations on people reaching out to us. And that's an important thing. I remember when my little granddaughter, Willow, was, she was just a, some of you heard me tell this story many times. She was a, just a little toddler. She's in her bed, her, her crib, and her mom and dad are laying in bed, and they got one of those little monitors in the, in the room, and they could hear her talking in the crib. And, and she's saying, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. She's trying to get him to come. Mommy, Daddy. And then she just paused and she said, nobody not coming. <laughs> nobody not coming. Have you felt like nobody not coming? Nobody not calling? Nobody not reaching out to me? And we all feel that way sometimes. I had a good friend in college, in Bible college. He was my best friend in Bible college. We were best of friends. And um, he came to see me one night and he said, he said, Danny, he said, I, I just have to tell you, I feel like if, if I never called you, you would never call me. And he said, I just never hear from you. And, and what I was, where I was, I was trying to get good grades. I was trying to get on the dean's list. I was, I was a task-oriented person, and I was, you know, trying to get through everything. And he was my best friend, and I loved being with him whenever we got together. I just loved it. It was so wonderful. But he did all the initiating and, you know, I went to class to learn. He went to class for the, the social experience. He was a sanguine. I was a, a melancholy. I wanted to learn. And so different personalities relate in different ways. And some people are like a catcher's mitt. They receive initiation. They don't give much initiation. And we have to think about it's important if you haven't heard from people and you're like me, you're maybe more of a melancholy and more of a task-oriented person, that we have to take it upon ourselves sometimes to really get out of our comfort zone and to reach out to other people and to uh, reach out to them and let them know we're thinking of them.
and get together for lunch or whatever. So this particular friend that he said, you never reach out to him anymore, we still remain best of friends. We fished together. We went to the beach together. We played tennis together. We were just best of friends. We traveled together. But as far as the day-to-day relationship, he did most of the, out- the outreach. But as the time has passed, he's got busy with his business. He's got busy with his grandchildren. And now I do all the reaching out to him. I called him this week, and he was so glad and talked to me and all that. So sometimes we feel like we're being neglected because the people in our life aren't reaching out to us. So a couple things on that. Number one is think about what do they have going on in their life. Number two, how does their personality or temperament factor into how they respond to you. Some people are just more introverted. And so when you have an introverted friend, sanguines that have introverted friends, uh, how many of you are sort of outgoing? You're kind of outgoing. Just raise your hand a little bit. Some of you are outgoing like that. And you just like, whoo, you just like, here's your party. You just like to have a good time. And then you got other people that are just, they just, they're just very organized and they do their thing. And so sometimes the temperament can play in to the relationship. And so that's an important thing. So we have to think about that. Uh, Here's another thing about what can happen in expectations. In expectations, sometimes uh, when you are in a relationship with somebody, you invest in that person or you spend time with them or maybe you help them move or you help them do something in their life and you're helping them constantly and you're doing things with them, there's a little unspoken IOU in that exchange. In other words, we feel like if I do this for you, if I help you, then I'm sort of expecting that you're going to pay me back in some way. Now, I'm here to tell you that in relationships, if you think that I'm going to do something for you and I'm expecting for you to do something for me, there's something a little bit awry in that type of relationship. Because at the end of the day, We need to do good for people. We need to invest in people. We need to help people, even if we don't get anything back from those particular people. Here's something to remember. You don't always reap in the same field you sow in. When you help somebody over here, you may not get anything back from that person. But when you give, the Bible says in Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together will run over into your lap. When you give and you bless people, God will bless you in a way that may not be connected with that particular person. So if you have a relationship, say, well, I helped them move. I spent time with them. I watched their 14 kids when they went on vacation. You know, I changed the oil in the car for them. I did all this, and they never do anything for me, and they, they completely are, they're not loyal to me, and they're not committed to me. So you have to have a relationship view of life where you're going to be a blessing to people and don't look for anything back. That's very, very biblical, very, very important. Here's what Frank Sonnenberg said. Frank Sonnenberg, he's a famous author about, uh, you know, character and values. Frank Sonnenberg says this. When you give of yourself and expect something in return, it's a transaction, not a kind gesture. You have no one, you have one eye on your action and the other on what you'll get in return. That only takes you away from the moment, but you can't do your best or be your best when you have a hidden agenda. So be willing to help people, be willing to help your friend, be willing to help people in your life, 
and don't look for something back. People that are in ministry, and people, pastors that may be listening to this, it's important in ministry that when you help people, that you help people for the benefit of glorifying the Lord and helping people, not looking for something back. That's an important principle in life. Here's how it works. Some people look at relationships like a vending machine. And that means that when you look at a person, I'm going to do A for you, but I'm going to expect B in return. So have you ever gone to a vending machine, you put the dollar in, and you're trying to get the little, you know, the Cheetos out, and the Cheetos don't come out? And what happens to you? You get mad. You get angry. So you start kicking the machine. Uh, I was watching a video this weekend from Sydney, Australia, where this guy in an airport put money into this vending machine, and it, it wouldn't, uh, it, it, he couldn't get out what he wanted, and he kept kicking the machine and kicking the machine, because, and he would actually back up and run and kick the machine. He was so angry at the machine. We get angry at people because we give them something, and we expect something back. So here's the principle. Let's say this together. The principle is, say this way, I am going to do good with no expectation of anything in return. If you have an IOU philosophy of life, you're going to be frustrated with people. But if you do like John Wesley said, here's what John Wesley said. I've quoted this like a million times. I need to memorize it because I quote it like every other sermon. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, at all the, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Do all the good you can. Just do good to people. Do good to your friends, and if your friends aren't reciprocating, and they're not giving you back, or if you have a company and you invest in somebody and you train them and you give them tools and you teach them the skills of the trade and then they go off and start their own company, you know, that's very, very frustrating. That happens all the time. But at the end of the day, when you invest in people and bless people, the Bible says that God sees when you invest in people and help people, and you may not reap from that field, but you'll reap somewhere because when you do good, God will be a debtor to no man. Listen to this verse of scripture hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 god is not just unjust he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them god is not just he will not forget your work you help people some people and they forget what you've done for them but god will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you help his people. Listen to this. This verse says that when you are helping people, you're loving God. Helping people is a way of worship, that I'm worshiping God. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people. So when I'm helping people and I'm investing in people, instead of having the IOU, what they're going to give me back, are they going to be loyal, are they going to be committed, are they going to do this? Instead of looking at an IOU philosophy, I look at it as, at as, it, as, as I'm worshiping the Lord. When I'm helping people, I'm, helping, I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm loving God when I help other people. So that's an important principle. So last point today. Last point is, uh, why do, do people let us down? What is God's strategy when people let us down? And everybody's going to let us down at some point. 
everybody, we're going to have expectations of certain people, and those expectations aren't going to be met. Uh, we're going to help people sometimes, and there's not going to be anything coming back for this people. So what do we do when we feel like we have been let down in relationships and our expectations haven't been met? I believe that God allows us to have some of our expectations not met by people that we depend on in order to get our focus back on him. Because it is dysfunctional and it is an idol to make people in your life your main support system. Now, we're, we build community here, and people are important, and we love people, and small groups are important, and I have friends that are important to me, and my friends are wonderful and all of that, and we all have so many of those things going on, but sometimes our friends don't come through, and God allows our friends not to come through because our friends are not to be our ultimate support. Our friends are to be a supplement to help us. But when our friends become the primary support and God is seen as the supplement, then we've got something wrong. God is our primary help and he's our primary sustainer. It says in Psalm 146, verse 3, do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Do not put your trust in princes. Do not put the, your trust in the, those important people in your life. Ultimately, don't put your trust in your best friend or do not put your trust in the, the most important people in your life. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. And so it's important for us to remember that sometimes when we're going through life, the people in our life that we're depending on, we're depending on them way too much. And not enough on Jesus. you got to depend on Jesus. Friends, God uses friends to speak to you. I got a really nice card this week. Somebody wrote me a card, and, and a really very special person in my life wrote me a card and gave me a gift. And I read the card. It deeply, deeply touched me. And I was so touched by it. It was so encouraging. And, uh, and I was grateful for that. But I know in my life in general, in my life in general, I need to be able to lean upon the Lord ultimately for my strength. Your spouse is supposed to be there for you. Your spouse is supposed to understand. Your spouse is supposed to be a good listener. Your spouse is supposed to pray for you. But sometimes your spouse is not a good listener. Sometimes your spouse isn't praying for you. Sometimes your spouse is not doing everything they need to do. But the Lord will never forsake you or he will never, ever leave you. I want you to think about the cross, the cross, when you envision a cross. A few years ago, I was at Lake June, Alaska, which is a Methodist campground in, around Asheville, North Carolina. I think I have a picture of a cross. There's a cross on a hill there. And I went up to this, uh, ran up to this hill one day, and it was like running track around the lake. And they had this cross up there. And uh, it's a beautiful place to pray overlooking the lake and the mountains around South Carolina. And just beautiful, beautiful area. And I just would love to go to that cross. Every morning when I was out there for a week and I would go do my little jog, I would always come to that cross. When you think about the cross, the cross is, the cross has is, is got a vertical beam and it's got a horizontal beam. The vertical beam is longer than the horizontal beam. And our dependence on the Lord is to be greater than our dependence on people. So if your cross is a long, a long horizontal beam, 
in a short vertical beam, then you're out of you're out of sync. So the cross represents our greatest dependence upon the Lord and our supplement dependence upon other people. One more verse of scripture before I close today. Maybe two, and I'm almost done here. Um, here's what uh, it says in Isaiah. Isaiah, listen to this, Isaiah 36, 6. Look, I know you who are dependent on Egypt. He's talking to the nation of Israel depending on Egypt when the Assyrians were coming against them. Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all who depend on him. So the writer here is saying that leaning on a worldly resource is like leaning on a, a reed that splits apart and cuts your hand. So sometimes we're, we're wounded by a relationship because we're depending too much on that relationship instead of depending upon the Lord. And then it says in Psalms 61, 2 and 3, from the ends of the earth I call to you, I call, I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For, I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. So in our relationships, when we have strains relationships and our relationships, are, our expectations aren't met in those relationships. That's a signal, that's a nudge from the Lord to say, I want you to look ultimately to me. I think I told you this story a few weeks ago, and this may be a repeat that was just a few weeks ago. When I was a kid, I grew up uh, next to a farm. Uh, this guy I was friends with named Henry, and I'd go down to his house, and Henry uh, was a cool kid. We'd hang out together. We'd play in the barn together. And Henry had a sister named Kay, and Kay had this black pony. And she would get on that black pony, and Henry, we were just like nine years old or whatever, would be in the yard, and she would chase us around on that pony like she was herding cattle. I mean, I remember it scared me to death. I could hear that. I, th I thought that pony was going to trample me, this big black pony. And she chased us around the yard, and she just thought it was the funnest thing. And, but Henry had a house, an old farmhouse, Sussex County farmhouse, had a big porch that wrapped around his house. And the floor of the porch was poured cement. It was solid cement. So we would, we would run to that porch, and we would jump up on that porch, and that pony couldn't get us. She'd come right up there to the porch and try to torment us, but the pony wouldn't come up on the porch. And when you go through life and you have a lot of trouble and things are going rough and you got your friends praying for you and maybe your friends aren't calling you enough and maybe you're not getting enough support and all of that, maybe the church hasn't doing, doing everything we should be doing and we're just dropping the ball that happens in all places. And what you have to remember is, what we all have to remember is, the name of the Lord the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they're safe. The righteous run to it, and they're safe. Would you say this with me? The Lord is my ultimate refuge. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. As you come into Thanksgiving, I want you to be thankful that the Lord is with you. Maybe your kids have let you down. Maybe your parents have let you down. Maybe your friends have let you down. Maybe people have let you down. But the Lord says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
I'm your shepherd. I'll cause you to lie down in green pastures and peace. I will always be with you. Father God, as we come into this wonderful week of Thanksgiving, we thank you that you're with us. You'll never let us down. You'll never forsake us. You'll never abandon us. You have a purpose in our life that, Lord God, you're always at work. Help us, Lord, to take great strength from who you are. We lift our eyes to the mighty God who is who made the heavens, who made the universe, who made everything that can be seen. There's nothing that has been made that was not made by him. We thank you for your power and your grace, and we love you and we honor you today. And everybody just say this with me. Lord God, I thank you that you're with me, and you're with me always. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. and. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.